Welcome back to season five of That's What She Did podcast. We're dedicated to amplifying the voices of the women leaders, innovators, and rebels you don't already know. We highlight everyday women who are impacting today's social issues, while also centering the voices of women of color. In short, we curate the stories of brilliant women. This season, we're bringing you Women Who Disrupt. Each episode, you're going to hear from an impactful and inspiring woman push your thinking, challenge your assumptions, and most importantly, inspire you to find a way to create impact in your corner of the world. I'm Tangia Renee, creator and host of That's What She Did. Thank you for joining me and your fellow inspiration junkies as we learn from and connect with today's brilliant women. Hey there, inspiration junkies. Before we get started with this week's episode, I have a quick question for you. Have you seen those memes going around social media talking to us about how if we don't come out of this pandemic situation having launched our first business, learned a new language, or created a whole new habit and oh yeah, lost 30 pounds, that we lack discipline, that there's something wrong with us, that we're just plain lazy? Well, I'm calling BS on all of that mess. And you know what I call that kind of attitude and those kind of memes and that kind of guilt? I call it toxic positivity. Maybe right now you're homeschooling your kids and at the same time you're trying to work remotely and trying to hold on to your sanity. Maybe some days you can barely get out of bed or change into a different pair of pajamas. And other times, maybe you are learning a new skill. Maybe you are taking a new class. Maybe you are out exercising or enjoying this time somehow at home with your family. The point is, is that we don't need an outside force or judgy people on social media imposing any guilt or shame on us during what is already a difficult and highly unusual time. For many of us who are entrepreneurs and small business owners, we've seen our revenue dip and sometimes even have to close because of this current economic environment, and we don't know what's going to happen next. If any of this resonates with you, then this coming Tuesday, May 12th, from noon to 6 p.m. Eastern Time, you need to head over to the No Small Business Left Behind Summit. This summit was created as a sort of safety net and a community to provide space for small business owners to get answers, access to resources, and live on-the-spot opportunities and coaching to get your questions answered about the SBA and other programs, pivoting your business, changing up your marketing strategy, your business models, and just getting support from other people that are in the same boat as you. And... I am happy to say I'm moderating a panel discussion to kick off the entire event on, you guessed it, toxic positivity. 
This panel is called Moving Your Business Forward in the Age of Toxic Positivity. I'll be joined by mental health expert Rhonda Gibson Wilness and sister podcast host Courtney Bowden of Think Like a Thought Leader. We are taking on the concept of toxic positivity, how it's negatively impacting us in an already really difficult time, and actionable steps you can do to get your mindset in order and move forward with action and real insight. This is not going to be your average virtual summit. This summit promises actionable takeaways to increase your business revenue, grow, and not just survive, but figure out how to thrive through this crazy, wild time and beyond. Also, there is going to be a live unnetworking, hashtag unnetworking, face-to-face individual video speed networking to connect with other attendees and speakers and There's a DJ, a really awesome chick DJ by the name of DJ Shelly Rockstar, who will be spinning on the ones and twos to give you a sense of hope and fun. I look forward to seeing you there. I'm so excited. Don't miss it. So head over to nosmallbusinessleftbehindsummit.com to register now. This event is already packed. It's full of information other great resources, and people just like you that you really need to meet. Now, this summit is only 10 bucks, So grab your tickets now before they're completely sold out. And again, that's the No Small Business Left Behind Summit. It's a great investment on your present and the future of your business. One more time for the people in the back, No Small Business Left Behind Summit.com. Be there or be square. You're listening to season five, episode 11 of That's What She Did podcast. This week, I'm so excited to introduce you to Betty Francisco and Ineda Roman, co-founders of Amplify Latinx. Betty and Ineda are entrepreneurs, businesswomen, and all-around badasses, and they founded Amplify Latinx, which is a nonpartisan collaborative movement whose mission is to build Latinx economic and political power by significantly increasing Latinx civic engagement and representation in leadership positions across all sectors. They are truly advancing Latinx people into positions of influence and power in the United States. And I'm excited to have a really fabulous, interesting conversation with these two dynamic, badass Latinas. Let's jump in. Welcome back, everyone, to another week of That's What She Did podcast. And I'm super excited to introduce you to two guests I have for you today. I have Inaida and Betty with Amplify Latinx, and they are doing really cool work across the board, not just with Amplify Latinx and the programs there, but in other areas as well. And as we continue on this theme of exploring what it means to be disruptive women in today's social context, We have a lot to talk about today, so I'm super excited to talk to both of you. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for inviting us. My pleasure. Welcome, welcome. So I came across um, your website, Amplify Latinx, a few weeks ago. 
I don't remember how now off the top of my head, somebody tagged me on something, I think, because that's how I usually find people is somebody's like, hey, do you know about this person or this organization? And I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> so, um, so I started, you know, snooping around on the website, really loved what I saw. I really appreciate that with Amplify Latinx, you are really working on building um, economic and political power in the Latinx community and, and not just building sort of civic engagement, but increasing representation and leadership uh, roles across the board for the Latino community, which I think is really important, especially in this current um, social and political context that we're in. So I'd love to know, I know both of you have separate careers outside of Amplify Latinx or doing a multiple multitude of things. I'd love to know how you came to work together and start to think about Amplify Latinx as a way that you wanted to expend your energy. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I can, I can share a little bit and Betty can, can follow up. So uh, Betty and I were both attorneys. And so we met in, um, in Boston. Uh, we, uh, I've always, uh, in the last 15 years, I've had, the, when I say always, I mean like the time that we've known each other, I've had my own practice. And so I'm an entrepreneur, a solo practitioner here in Boston, and Betty was in the corporate world working as an attorney. And so I was very involved with the Hispanic National Bar Association, and Betty was very involved with Alpha Law. And so that's how we kind of connected, because we both have a passion for service and, and leadership in the law and, you know, in business. And so um, back in 2012, God, I'm forgetting the dates, 2012, um, uh, we had this opportunity to present um, a study that was commissioned by the Hispanic National Bar Association, Latina Commission, um, about Latinas in the law. And so that was the initial event that brought us two together. Um, I approached Betty and shared uh, about this opportunity. And so um, with with her um, leverage using the Alpha Law uh, platform, we co-hosted an event in Boston, and uh, and there was incredible energy. People were really excited to hear about these recommendations, which, is, which essentially, when you sum it up, uh, one of the most powerful recommendations of the study was um, to have networks of support for Latina attorneys. Um, and having been, you know, a couple of a few. Uh, Latina attorneys here in Boston, we we thought, you know, why not host something that brings together Latina attorneys, but also women in business who are Latina. And, um, and so we, we had the first gathering in the summer of 2012, where we invited um, former U.S. attorney Carmen Ortiz to, to be our guest. And so we called it the Latina circle, you know, because we wanted to bring a circle of Latinas together. And, and again, the energy was extraordinary. And so we started hosting these quarterly cafecitos, right, to bring together women. Um, and by the way, this was borrowed from some friends from Miami who were already hosting their own cafecitos. And with their blessing, um, we went forward and, and used the name as well. Um, and it just so happens that there's women in, in Miami, in D.C., in New York, in Denver, and all like all across the nation hosting these cafecitos, right? And, and everybody you know, these circles of, of Latina attorneys were inspired by this study uh, commissioned by the Hispanic National Bar Association. So long story short, we kind of um, shifted or pivoted into, into broader, uh, broader terms and broader subjects in 2016 um, after the presidential election when we realized that, you know, it was not just about um, 
executive leadership and Latina leadership, but leadership in general and men and women and civic engagement and um, economic opportunity. And so all of that combined is what brought us to create um, Amplify Latinx. Mm-hmm. I'm going to pause there because I've said a lot, but I know Betty um, also has uh, some things to The impetus was to create Latina Circle in the beginning was actually uh, all, us as well. The study was one, but it was also us um, noticing that at the stage that we were in in our careers, we were mentoring a lot of women. We were providing that support that we got early on, perhaps when we were you know, rising in the ranks. And in the law, as you know, um, there's not much diversity, right? There's not a lot of um, opportunities for women to advance, especially in law firms and in the corporate sector. Um, and, and Latinas tend to go into more, you know, nonprofit government or, um, you know, or roles that are uh, more focused on social justice. So even in the space I played in, I didn't see a lot of role models. So part of this was also us feeling like we were doing a lot, right, to support those coming up behind us. And that was immensely important. Um, But where could we get, you know, support as well? So recognizing that there is a need for peer mentoring, peer championing, right? So it goes beyond mentoring, but also this championing that you see happen, um, you know, in other sectors where women are rising, you know, the few that are getting there, they're getting there because they have um, sponsors and champions that are looking out for them. They're using their political capital to uplift them, put them in roles that have a lot of visibility, have a lot of stretch opportunities to gain gain new skills. And that's, in effect, what we're looking for, like, how do we create the network for ourselves, for Latinas that could do that? So Latina Circle, you know, was that foundation, right, to bring women together that could support each other, uplift, but also engage the broader community, right, to help do that and to gain, like, the the language that you could start using both in your workplace, right, how do I move up, how do I speak up, um, and, and how do I... Um, open the door Mm -hmm. for those that follow, right? So there's this constant um, sense, and we talk about this in our cafecitos, right? That we must continue to lift each other up. Um, It's that concept of lift as you climb, but also opening doors, leveraging your political capital, you know, your social capital to help people move um, into positions of leadership. And literally like the, Mm -hmm. what does that mean, right? It is, opening a door, making an introduction to someone that's looking for a job. It could be that um, we want to get visibility for somebody that's doing amazing work, but is not being recognized at work. So we will nominate them for an award, right? Or a recognition. We scour all these awards, right? That are available like through um, the, the different organizations in the Boston area or nationally. And we actually, you know, will nominate women for these awards. And that recognition we know, right? Helps propel them into a limelight that opens other doors. Um, it's also um, making sure that we as Latinas, but also as leaders in our community, are um, opening doors in leadership roles and decision-making roles. So we talk about Latina Circle as championing women into roles of power and influence. And what that means also is that, you know, Latinas or Latinos in general are not represented in leadership positions where decisions are made for us, right? So in government, in, in elected roles, 
on boards, commissions. Um, and if you look at, you know, corporate America, Latinos represent just mm -hmm. under 4%, right, of corporate board leadership. So the other thing that we we do is we we will get asked, you know, could you recommend somebody for a role, a board, et cetera. And we also, you know, make those recommendations because we want to make sure that there's representation um, across all sectors. Um, and, and that initial work, that foundation carries over into Amplify, right, um, which is is now focused on men and women, but also young, that younger generation, that millennial generation, which we know traditionally has not been as engaged, right, in, in civically, has not um, voted, right, at the numbers and levels that they can, given their, their population density, um, and also isn't getting, you know, the opportunities, I think, that um, some of us are getting, and, and we know millennials are doing incredible things, right? So part of what we do and our role is to make sure we're constantly opening those doors and creating the visibility for them mm -hmm. to keep moving So up. I think what's really interesting, what really stands out to me is you're talk you've talked a lot about mentorship, and, and I like your word better, championing the next generation, or, you know, people that are coming up now. Um, because as we know, people of color across the board do not have the networks of privilege and power that other people have that allow them to quickly rise in the ranks of whatever their chosen field is. Um, and so what stands out to me as well is that every season that I do this show, I pick a theme, like I shared with you, this, you know, the theme this season is women who disrupt, but there's always a subtext theme that emerges um, from the guests that I'm speaking to. And this season, it seems to be mentorship or championing that next generation of people or almost all of the women that I've talked to for this season have landed on that as like, this is why I'm doing this work. And I'm, I'm curious to know what you think is, do you think that with as many people, you know, little enclaves of organizations or people, cafecitos across the country, like we have a, a very well-known one here in Denver, um, are we making enough progress in that area of being the peer-to-peer -peer mentors that we need in communities of color or other marginalized community to really move the ball forward. Because when I came into college, of course, I didn't have that network. I was just like a regular person, right? <laughs> Come from power and privilege. Um, so I fell in right away in college with some groups that helped me build that network really quickly. Somebody championed me early on. And I wonder if we're really, are we making progress, you think, that that ball has moved forward, that we've gotten better at it, because it still seems to be such a massive gap. I, I mean, I would say we have not made a lot of progress, right? When you look at statistics from Catalyst or Lean In mm -hmm. and McKinsey, those studies, you know, that look at into the advancement of women um, and also look at women of color, right? They, they find that women of color are advancing a lot slower, right? Than their um, white peers. And, and part of that is still that um, even though we all recognize this issue of sponsorship, we're not all doing it, right? And it's not us, it's not our responsibility alone, right? To do it for others. It's actually a systemic issue, right? So part of what, um, 
you know, the, the, and Neda mentioned this early, like what, what we also try to do is highlight that this is not just, you know, um, something that we can do for each other, which is very important, but we also need to bring the right players into the conversation. So it's men, right? It's men in very senior leadership roles. It's the CEOs in our companies. And it's not just saying, Hey, you know, president of this bank or president of that come sponsor me it's actually challenging the system right it's saying how are you recruiting how are you promoting how are you advancing women and women of color and people of color in your company in your workplace and being somewhat of a teacher right to to, to you know we are always asked to take on that education role but i think that's part of you know um the, the give and take that if that organization or company wants to go on the journey, right, of really breaking down barriers, systemic obstacles that, um, you know, uh, don't allow progression of, of all people so that there's equity, right, in how we're moving forward in the organization, then, um, you know, we can't, they can't do it alone, we can't do it alone. So I think that we are beginning to see that in corporate, right? And in nonprofits, nonprofits are a whole nother issue, right? So we're beginning to see the recognition that more needs to be done and that it's not just a individual level change, but a systemic change that needs to happen. Um, and, I, and I think the more that we can educate ourselves to talk about that, to say, you know, we have to challenge and disrupt the systems that are in place that we did not invent, nor did those presidents necessarily. These are systems we've inherited, right, as a society. Um, and and so uh, it takes a lot of commitment, perseverance, you know, political will to say we are going to challenge this um, because we believe that um, having a more diverse, equitable workplace will yield to a better, you know, organization, a better company where mm-hmm. everyone can thrive. Yeah, I mean, I think that the best way, thank you, uh, Berida. Yeah, I mean, the best way to to summarize what we aim to do is that we aim to disrupt the mindset of Latino leadership, right? Mm-hmm. Because because there's a certain mindset of, of who we are and and what our potential is and what we can accomplish, right? And, and it's sometimes internal, right? I mean, it could be external, could be other people like Betty shared, you know, the, the institutional barriers that have existed there uh, for, for generations, but also in turn, it's been internalized by, by many, right? And so how do we overcome those, those institutional barriers, both external and internal, to ensure that more Latinos are represented in positions of power and influence and impact? Right. And and ensuring that we recruit all those allies that understand and that get it and that want to want to be there for us um, and and helping, you know, them helping us get to those places. Right. Because if we talk to ourselves, we're just it's going to be an echo chamber. Right. So so we need to make sure that the message is spread to other people that understand that when you have diversity and inclusion, um, you're going to have a better organization and, and, and not only that, a more profitable organization and, and it's going to reflect the community at large, right? Because um, we always say we're growing in numbers, but not necessarily in influence. And, and what's that saying? Like we're, we punch below our weight or whatever that boxing um, term is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so it's important that, that we 
that we elevate our community and, and that leadership mindset, um, the way that we're growing, right? Mm-hmm. The way we're growing demographically. And that, and that's a really good point. Cause that gets back to the role models, right? So, and that internalization, like you often are, you know, are what you see, right? So they say you can't be what you don't see. So if there aren't more of us, right. in Um, positions of power and leadership roles in sectors that we have traditionally been left out of. Um, How -hmm. do you aspire to that? Right. So when we talk to say young people, um, right. If, if they haven't seen someone in their family, you know, start a business or become a lawyer or a doctor or an astronaut, you know, how do they aspire to that? Right. Not to say they can't, but the the fact that they haven't seen it sometimes is that barrier. So part of you know our job too is to um, create a mindset um, that is that you have opportunity in the larger world. And sometimes you know even our young people will say, "Well, I want to go to a community college, and mm-hmm. why not at Ivy League?" Right. So it is also a responsibility for us, right, to keep challenging ourselves, right? Keep um, saying to ourselves, why don't we aspire bigger? Um, And then find the role models that can help us get there. Yeah, I mean, what do you think? So I I agree that it's hard to think bigger, think more creatively, all of those things about your own life when you haven't had access to those things. And, And they're hard to imagine what you haven't already seen with your own eyes. How do you think, though, beyond that, like introducing these opportunities and themes to younger generations or people that haven't traditionally been exposed to them? Beyond that, what are some other things that we can do to expand that leadership mindset? Because it takes usually someone in your personal life, right, I think, to be like, oh, well, have you ever thought of this to introduce you? And, And I wonder, what do we do beyond beyond introduction of things to help shift the mindset on a large enough level that you see forward progress. But I would argue that it doesn't always have to be someone in your personal life. Mm-hmm. I I think media plays a huge role. I think, you know, what you see on TV, on radio, on now it's all on social media, right? Who you see is uh, more influential sometimes than what's in your personal life. So the fact is that we don't, when you Google CEOs, like if you did it right now, what would come up? Probably a lot of white men. Mm -hmm. The other day, I'm an angel investor. I, not the other day, a while back, I Googled angel investor. You know, you got back on Google results, a, a lot of angels, right? But like figures of angels and then men. Same thing, Google doctors. Will you see many women? Will you see a black person? Probably, Probably not. not yeah. So, so it's it's the it it is um, what we see in the external world is just as important as having people in your life, and that is where we can all influence. Like even in your podcasts, right? Um, and and who you select to be on it, um, and and you know, and to have a voice matters a lot because you're an influencer. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, so even when we do events, right, we are now very cognizant that um, they have to be inclusive and representative of the breadth of our Latino community, which, which we know is not, 
you know, homogeneous. It is, it is culturally diverse, mm-hmm. it's racially diverse. Um, so, and, and it spans all our generations, right? So, and it skews young. So when we say we have, we want to be more inclusive, right? What does that mean for us? It means we want to have, you know, Gen X and Gen Z represented just as much as the older generation, which are where most of the leaders are, right? Um, We also want to make sure that it is racially diverse. Like, do we have Afro-Latinos represented, Mm -hmm. right? Do we have folks from, from the Caribbean or, you know, or Latin America or Puerto Rico, not just folks that are, you know, U.S. born, like what are the perspectives that we're showcasing, um, you know, so that there's such a breadth of diversity that you can see yourself. Mm -hmm. Do you think that influencers understand the level of actual influence they may be able to have over these issues? Because, you know, to your point, I get that. I mean, I don't have like the largest podcast audience but I have a respectable audience <laughs> that, that, <laughs> that listens to the show and it's a it's a global audience we're downloaded across like 78 countries or something like that um and so I take very seriously to your point who I curate to be on this show I'm thankful that I get pitched all of the time but I think very clearly about what does this person have to offer this audience? What is the message that they're bringing? What are they going to say that matters? Um, because I, I do, I see influencers doing things where I'm like, I don't understand the message that you're trying to send here. Do you think that there's enough influencers out there that really get what they could do with the power that they've cultivated to impact social issues? I don't know. I don't know that. I mean, I, I would hope, right, that that there's that awareness and that conscience. But I don't know. Um, I don't know that that's actually um, real right now, because otherwise we'd, we would have more diversity in, you know, across mm-hmm. years. Right. Um, and I don't know if you've heard of a new project that's out there that's called the Latinx House that was just that was just started. Um Actually, a, a friend of ours, um, her name is Monica Ramirez. She's one of the co-founders. And and she, you know, and their goal is to have more Latinx representation in the media, right? Whether it's movies, mm-hmm. whether it's uh, news, whether it's uh, commercials, anything, right? Because uh, to Betty's point earlier, if we're not represented, then our kids are not going to see themselves in those in those positions and roles. And so, and, 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 and it spans from like the movie that only portrays us as drug dealers or as maids, right. To, to having a Latinx uh, broadcaster uh, to um, having, you know, Latinos um, in ads in, or, or, or Latinx looking uh, uh, people in, in ads and in, in commercials, whether it's TV or whether it's online or whether it's on a magazine or newspaper, or whatever. I mean, we know print media is kind of like, on its way out, but, you know, but any kind of media, right? Um, so, so it's, you know, it's, it's that role modeling that is so important. Um, and so, and so I think there, there is a lot of work to be done in the space of awareness. Um, and, and I think, uh, you know, the Latinx House is starting a really, really cool, interesting movement. They actually launched at the Sundance Festival recently. Um, so, um, so that was really exciting. You know, there's, um, you know, there's a lot of work that that needs to be done. So, so I think, you know, there's room for improvement. Is is my answer? 
sure. That's the short answer. <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, and, and I would say that, I mean, there are influencers that are using their platform, mm-hmm. you know, to um, promote more the topic, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so I, I would say that it, it's starting to happen, um, you know, even the narrative. So the, we call this narrative shift, narrative shifting work. Um, you know, there, there's other organizations like Latino donor collaborative, you know, out of New York has a whole, um, you know, fact sheet, uh, around the contributions that Latinos make, mm-hmm. right. More economically focused. Um, but we, we often are stuck, right. With this deficit mindset and narrative because of what we hear. Right. So we're lumped. First of all, we're all lumped together. Latinos right. is you know, somehow puts us all in one bucket. And then, um, there's connotations around that, right. That we're all immigrants, perhaps we're, we're poor, you know, we're working class and we're lazy and whatever, like there's all kinds of connotations that come with it. Um, and what, you know, the work they're doing is really about shifting the narrative that no, there's in- immense diversity, but we are contributing to the U S economic, um, you know, uh, ecosystem in a way that if we were not there, we would not be growing, right? As a as a as a economy, um, nor would we be sustaining our social security, our Medicare, right, our health system. Like we are contributing in taxes, so it's really showing the impact that we're making, um, and that's what we don't even know that. Mm-hmm. Like half of us don't know how much we actually, as a collective, contribute. Um, you know, so I think getting educated about who we are, our cultures, what we bring to the table is, is part of that, that narrative. Um, I think you, you know, and even in media, you're seeing it more like in, in, when you look at some of the shows that are out, right. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, uh, that, that have African-American characters that are lawyers that are, you know, um, like I look at scandal, it's still my favorite show, (laughs) right when you see people in roles that you didn't even know existed, right? right? That is when you start to do this shaping of, you know, this is what you could be. So we just, you know, we need more Latinos there. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, and to be talking about it. And, you know, I think because education, it plays such a big role in how we think about advancement. Right. And, and, and it's, you know, it's that classic immigrant story. Like, well, what is, you know, what do you want to be? I want to be a doctor, a lawyer, mm-hmm. a, you know, um, the, 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 you know, an accountant, like the classic money-making professions. Um, that's what we call advancement. It's not, you know, like now I would say, I want my kids to go into tech, yeah. right. I want them to be like, you know, cybersecurity experts or, you know, like what, or the other, you know, pigeonholing thing that a lot of our kids get into is sports. Mm-hmm right? Sports is a way out. So we've got to present broader options for them. Yeah. Do you find that, I mean, just before we started recording, we, we talked a little bit about what you're doing with Amplify Latinx. And one of the things you said is, you know, I don't, I don't know that it's especially disruptive. I would argue that it is in several ways. <laughs> but when you think about what the work that you're doing, whether it be specific to Amplify Latinx or Latina Circle or any of the other projects you're working on, what do you think defines them as being disruptive? Any one of the um, any, any one of the things that you're working on? How how is something becoming disruptive from the way that you see it? 
Well, I mean, so I think part of it is why I say it's, it, it's different in the way we've done things in that, you know, I feel like a lot of efforts, you know, around building leadership, around increasing civic engagement have always been led by non-Latinos. Right. Right. They've always come up like some, somebody wanting to do good things. It could be a nonprofit or, you know, um, a leader that comes along. It's like, I want to help you. And, and we then are an afterthought and we jump on and, you know, and maybe some good things happen, but it's never really led by us. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think what's different and maybe disruptive is that, you know, everything we do is for us and by us. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and when we say, you know, we created this and we're leading this, um, that's somewhat different, right? Because there aren't um, a ton of Latino led and serving organizations mm -hmm. that are really focused on building power, right? We've got these national organizations to some extent, um, but we need so many more of these, right? To really make a dent. And, and on the, you know, the, the other piece that we've tied together is, you know, we know we have to build political leadership, right? Yeah. Um, we have to be represented at those decision-making tables in, legis you know, the legislative bodies in government. But that power only comes along if you have economic power, right? Yeah. So economic and political power go hand in hand. Um, and often you need that economic power to even get into those political roles, mm -hmm. right? So that is why we, sh we, we um, you know, built a uh, component to our programming around entrepreneurship, right? So you could build economic power in many ways, but we know in our community, it's often through, um, you know, home ownership or it's entrepreneurship. And Latinos are actually the demographic that is starting businesses at the fastest pace currently in the U.S., mm -hmm. right? We have... We have sort of a stagnation in growth of small businesses in every other demographic except Latinos. And it's the women, mm -hmm. right, that are starting the businesses at, at, a, at that exponential pace. Um, so knowing that, right, why not focus on this, on this group that oftentimes doesn't have the same support, the same access to resources, or the same access to capital that other entrepreneurs do? Mm -hmm. Right. And then you add on top sometimes the language barrier if you're an immigrant entrepreneur. Um, and so that is where, you know, we again, we do everything as a, as a collaboration with other organizations, other partners. We don't we try not to duplicate efforts that, that exist. Right. Um, and what we saw is that there is a need right, to collaborate across resources, but to bring Latino entrepreneurs together so that they can see that, you know, they have. They can create their own network of support, but they should be buying from each other. They should be supporting each other and they should be opening doors, right? To um, those larger organizations and those bigger companies that, you know, that's where our pressure comes in is to say, here we are, you need to collaborate with us. You need to work with us, right? You're trying to increase your supplier diversity efforts. Well, here we mm -hmm. are. Right. It takes away the excuse of we can't find you. We don't know where you are or there are none. Right. There's like 30 in Massachusetts alone. There's 30,000 Latino businesses in the U.S. There's 4.5 million Latino businesses. Mm -hmm. Where do you find them? Right. That's the excuse. Oh, we don't know where they are. Well, that right. we know where they are. Yeah. 
Yeah. Come, come to so, us and we'll yeah. tell you. Right. But we also have to be yeah. visibly out there and, and saying, I want that support. Um, you know, I want you to find me. So, um, well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll add that, uh, cause you know, Betty uh, has very eloquently, um, shared a lot of the information and all of, a lot of the things that we're already doing, um, to, you know, to close these opportunity gaps. But in essence, we, we aim to have an intersectional impact, right? So, so we're looking at different sectors and we're looking at all the gaps that exist across these sectors, whether it's economic, whether it's education, whether it's civic engagement, whether it's, you know, obviously leadership, leadership representation across sectors and private and public sectors. And, you know, and so we want to, you know, we want to close those gaps and make sure that we provide not only opportunities, but also visibility to these organizations, right? And to these people and to these individuals. And so what a lot of the things that, you know, when, when, if you think about disruption and if you think about something that we're doing that's different, again, you know, it's for us and by us and for us, right? And so, and so um, what we want to do is make sure that we give visibility to Latino owned businesses, that we give visibility to Latino leaders, to people who are in a position where they're going, you know, they're ready for the next step, right? And so we want to make sure that we highlight them. So for example, for Women's History Month, we highlight women. We're now working on that campaign. Uh, Soon we're going to have, you know, Women's Equal Pay Day. Um, Then we're going to have Small Business um, Month and we're going to highlight small businesses. Uh, For the holidays, we always highlight Latino-owned businesses. For Hispanic Heritage Month, we, you know, we highlight Latinos who are doing exceptional work. And so, and so our point, our, our primary point is to, is to showcase these Latinos who are doing exceptional work and, and these Latino, Latino owned businesses that are out there and that, and that deserve our attention so that we can help them grow. And, uh, and so that, if, if you ask me that, you know, that is, is somewhat disruptive, right? Because we are, we're trying to shift the, you know, the, the barriers that, that exist and trying to move them out of the way. So I want to know your thoughts on visibility and women, specifically women of color, feeling comfortable showing up publicly and very visibly and confidently and bold for themselves. So my experience with this podcast is, you know, as you know, we curate the voices of brilliant women. We have a very specific um, focus on amplifying the voices of women of color, although not exclusively. And when I reach out to women in general to be guests on the show, it's, it's very easy to do. They're always open to talking to me. Um, and for the most part, they come on the show unless there's some kind of scheduling issue. But what I have seen consistently, time and time again, is when I am pitching a woman of color, someone that I don't know, and saying, I'd love for you to be a guest on this show to talk about your expertise and very often she will try to talk me out of it. And there's this very noticeable uncomfortability with someone coming to them and saying, hey, I think you're brilliant and I want to hear what you have to say about this issue. And and so while there can be a certain challenge with being visible as a woman in general, I have seen over and over again that it is acute with women of color. 
And I'd love to know what you think needs to happen in order for these women to be able to be visible for themselves and show up confidently in their work and be able to just talk about it and not feel guilt or whatever they feel that would cause them to try to talk someone out of putting them on a platform to share their expertise. Yeah. I mean, I think that's definitely part of our culture, right? At least in the Latino culture, um, we've had this conversation before, right? Like we're taught, you know, you in Spanish, there's a saying, you know, calladita te ves más bonita. So like, if you're quiet, you look so pretty. If you speak up, like, you know, or you're taught, you need to be humble. You need to be, you know, you need to be obedient. Just, you know, bow down your head and do your work. I mean, th- those are, those are also systemic barriers from ourselves, right? That, 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 you know, in our culture, it's, it's almost like this, this um, a colonialization uh, a mentality, right? And, and so, and that's, you know, that plagues all of Latin America, including the Caribbean, including Mexico, Central America, South America, all of us, right? And so, and so how do you shift that? That's why, you know, I love the term mindset, right? So how do you shift that mindset so that you turn on something else in your brain that says, you know what, Yes, that's fine. That's, it's good to, you know, to be respectful, respect, you know, part of our culture, one of the, one of the, you know, tenets of our culture is respect uh, for elders, respect for others and, and love and everything that, that we're taught from, from childhood. But, you know, how do you also adapt to, you know, to the American mentality that, you know what, you kind of have to be a little showy to, you know, to, to uh, be visible and to get your message across. Right. So, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's something that, that it's, is very internalized. So we have to, we have to be aware of, of, you know, how we are our own worst enemies sometimes. And then, and then if you add the factor of women, right, you know, cause not only culturally, but also as women, we are told, you know, also like, you know, you can't be to, to show you have to, you know, you have to kind of like, um, not that you're going to let others shine before you, but, but modesty, right? Like, like you're taught to be modest from childhood. And so, and so how to, how to balance those lessons from your childhood with, with the fact that if you want to get anywhere in life, you have to actually be a little bit bolder than, than what you're taught from, from your childhood. So, so it's awareness and making sure that then you balance it out because, because the reality is that, you know, they're, they're, that they're the women who are out there who are just as assertive as a man are called bitches, right. Instead of being called leaders. So, so it's, you know, it's this, it's this perception of, of, you know, being a leader and being a boss instead of bossy, right. And being somebody who is assertive instead of being a bitch, so uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a balancing act, right? And it's making sure that you're aware of it and that you do something to overcome not only the personal barriers that you impose and your, at your own upbringing imposes, but also society at large imposes on it. And I would, and I would challenge us to not, you know, we, we're almost saying, oh, well, we have to fix ourselves, right? So uh, I, I think, part of what is disruptive is if we say this, why are we changing our culture right because then like, you're right but it's because we're trying to adapt to this americanized you know system but 
if we stop and say, well, we're not going to change our culture within our culture is this concept of humility and modesty. And, you know, um, and, and yes, that's rooted in sexism and patriarchy, et cetera. But why are we asking ourselves to change as if there's something wrong with us? What if instead we ask the system to change? Right. And, and some of what that means is you work within it and, and, and you push it. Right. So, you ask, well, how do you find, you know, more women of color? I will tell you a lot of women of color, one, they may not feel like they're doing something that great. Yes, right? yes, I've been guilty of that. You. And and two, um, they have this added, you know, sense of, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm humble and I just don't feel comfortable. So instead, change how you find them. Change the system, which is find someone to nominate them. So at the end of this show, we're going to send you three names of amazing women that of color that you should interview. Ask everybody else, ask the white women, you know, for you to be on my show, you need to nominate three women of color and amplify them. Who do you admire? Right. That should be. So put it on the system, change the system, um, you know, and push it. Right. Because that's working within it and challenging it to um, to disrupt. Right. So. Um, the other day we were in a meeting where similar story, someone said, I don't feel comfortable being in a video talking about myself. And the fix was, well, what if somebody else talks about you? Well, yeah, that makes more sense. Right. And in fact, there's always, you know, things we don't see about ourselves that other people can talk about better than we can. So change. And, and yeah, yeah. And to clarify, I, I'm not uh, proposing that we change ourselves, right? What I'm proposing is that we become aware that we become aware that we become aware of of those, you know, of of our own upbringing, and and work with it, right? And and when you become aware, you can overcome those barriers, right? So I mean, because Betty will tell you, I embrace my Latin. I like, I wear my Latinidad on my sleeve. Like I, I like my name. I'm an Eneida Roman. You know, like I. You know, I will not change myself to, you know, to fit in, but, but I, I have the awareness of, you know, of, of having, of having those, you know, those deficits in, in my upbringing, right. In terms of, and and not that I'm taking anything away from my parents, but it's just, it's cultural, it's cultural, right. So there are some, some things that we're taught when we're little and we have to say, you know what, it's nice to be that way, but you know, it's, it's, and we should embrace it. But we also have to learn how to how to navigate the system when we bring those uh, beliefs and that belief system with us, and as we're working um, in you know mainstream America. And I, you know, it, and it starts with our with children, right? So now, like, I have two girls; they're teenagers now, and one of them can talk about herself all day about how amazing she is, how strong she is. She's very confident. Right. And the other one, not so much, but still recognizes her strengths. And that's because we are teaching them, right, to talk about those things, not to be humble or, you know, humility is important, absolutely. Um, but you have to be able to sell your skill sets. What do you bring to the table? What value do you add? And that's important, especially when we talk about leadership, right? Because in the end, you have to be able to sell your skills um, and your value to an employer. That is also how we make more money, right? So that is how we negotiate 
salary increases, how we negotiate promotions. And that's one of the hardest things, you know, um, we, 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 in our programming talk about Latina, the, the Latina pay gap, right? Latinas are paid 53 to 54 cents on the dollar compared to what white men earn. Um, and so that's why like November, November, I don't know, 20th, the date shifts. It's the date. I mean, literally almost two years it takes us on average to earn the same amount as a, you know, our white counterparts. So when you think about that, part of that, you know, again, I'm not blaming ourselves or our culture, but, you know, there's a big push to transform how we talk about money, right? And how we talk about um you know, our pay, because again, we've been taught that that's taboo. Don't talk about money, take what you're given, accept what you're offered. And, you know, we, we now have to teach women and our children that no, you negotiate for fair pay and what you deserve. Yeah. And it, you know, and it, and it takes a lot of mind shifting, right? To get there. Yeah, I definitely hear that. I mean, my experience with getting guests for this show is that, it's not that hard. And if you're clear on what you need, what the skill set is, what the expertise is, you can find the woman that you're looking for. You know, a lot of people consider this show for whatever reason to be like in the equity and diversity space, although I don't consider that to be accurate. Maybe an element, but that's not really what we're here to do with this show. And I have a huge running list of women that are potential guests or somebody I plan to reach out to to get them on the show at some point when we have the right opportunity and the right theme. And it's a long list. And, you know, so I have people reach out to me and they're like, you know, you're in the equity and diversion space. How are you finding women of color? And I'm going... Well, it's not that hard. <laughs> I mean, have a little bit of clarity about what you need. What what is the the need you're yeah. trying to fill? And it's not hard to find people. It's really not. It's it's that you're not actually trying. And that's what I think about that. And I'm like, I have a list of like 100 women. You want to see my list? But I love what you're saying about get somebody to recommend three other people. And I'm going to start doing that for sure. And I think it'll actually make make curating guests a little bit easier for me. But it also, you know, opens up the universe to other women that I probably would not have ever known about. So thank you for that tip. I'm going to start doing that. And even when you, you ask somebody that says, you know, for whatever reason, I can't be on your show or I don't want to be on your show, ask them, okay, no problem, but can you recommend three people? Because... That's what, you know, when, when people ask us to speak or to, you know, if I can't do it, um, I recommend three other people and they're people of color always. Right. Right. Yeah. I love it. I'm totally going to do that. I didn't think of it, never had the idea to do it, but I'm going to do it from now on. You know, and, and, and I think challenging too, like when we see, I mean, again, respectfully and when we can, right. When we see conversations, panels, events that don't have a diversity uh, of, of speakers, right? And it's on a topic that relates to us in particular. Those are the ones where we should, we do speak. I mean, I speak up and I say, hey, I noticed, right, that you don't have this kind of speaker. Like, 
can I recommend some names for you, right? And and it's inserting our this bold insertion of our voice because we're not going to get invited, right? But if we insert ourselves, there's this, huh? Oh yeah, you know, and and it's often appreciated. I've never been told, oh, you know, you're wrong. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. That also, you know, that instead of, instead of, because again, I think going back to that deficit mentality, right? Like, you know, that we're less than that we should articulate and have kind of like a pitch of like what it is that we bring to the table. Right. And, and, and how, how our presence is actually an advantage and not a disadvantage. Right. Because, uh, because it, it's important that others see the value. Uh, that we ourselves see, and 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 earlier we mentioned uh, the Latino Donor Collaborative. They do an extraordinary job at articulating the the advantages and the benefits of of the Latino community and and the contributions of the Latino community that you know that many people don't even see. And 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 the information is out there. We just need to um, make sure that we can articulate it and that we have that short pitch to say, hey, you know what? It's in your best interest to include us because X, Y, and Z, right? Absolutely. Well, Betty, Inaida, thank you both so much for taking some time out of your new work from home schedule to join me on the podcast today. I loved having you on. That was such a great conversation. I appreciate your insight so, so much. And I can't wait to see what you guys do next. I will definitely be following and can't wait to see where things go from here when we can finally figure out what the future is going to look like and, and hopefully all move forward together. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. All right, Inspiration Junkies. Thanks so much for joining us for another episode of That's What She Did podcast. I am, from the bottom of my heart, grateful to you that you continue to listen and continue to share this show, even in the midst of the craziness that's going on. In the best of times, I know that you can spend your time anywhere doing anything, and you choose to spend your time and give us your attention for this show week after week. From the bottom of my heart, thank you. And I appreciate you so much. Please continue to share and let me know what you love about the show or what you hate about it, I guess. (laughs) Send me an email to that's what she did podcast at gmail.com. And if you know three women of color that should be on this show, you should send me an email and let me know because I want to know who they are. Thanks again for showing up for us every single week. I wish you the best of happiness and all your dreams come true as we continue to move through this crazy, crazy situation. Until next time, we out.